0: Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where host Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. I am your co-host, mortgage agent, and real estate investor, Nick Hill, and I'm joined today. and every day that we do this by my close friend, and bootleg economist. Is that fair, Dan? Real estate extraordinaire? Sorry, that's probably not the best intro I could have done. <laughs> I think
0: legally I have to like, go to school for economics to be an economist, but bootleg economist kind of works, Yeah, I think. I'm, I'm now a director of economic research at a real estate company called Rare Real Estate. So I've, I've recently switched brokerages, uh,
1: which is an exciting move for me and I'm, I'm really excited about the next, next chapter here in my career. Yeah, it's going to be a big year. 2023, I think, is going to be a, a good one for the team. And yes, Director of Economic Research. Well, I mean, you're just you're just good old Dan to me, so we'll, we'll keep it at that. We have got a, a great episode today. And if you roll in the right circles or listen to the right content of this podcast, you probably would have heard this acronym before. VTB. We've mentioned it numerous times on the show, and it stands for Vendor Take Back. I'm assuming you aren't talking about Take
0: Back, the 2021 action mystery thriller with a 14% (laughs) audience score on
1: Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Did I must have missed that one. I'm not talking about that, nor am I referring to the 2014 made-for-TV short film titled The Vendor which apparently doesn't even have a rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's like super, super niche. That's a, that's a cult <laughs>
0: classic in the making. Okay, well, vendor take back what then? Who is the vendor and what are they taking?
1: Great question. You might have also heard, Dan, of the acronym OPM, which stands for Other People's Money. Yeah, what's happening with this money and who's using it for what? And where can I get some of that stuff? Oof, great questions, my friend. We are going to go into all of that today. What is a VTB? Why you need to know about them as an investor? Why you should be asking for them as often as possible? The pros and cons and OPM we're going to touch on through it as well. It's a common strategy. It's gotten popular over social media because, well... It's kind of pure clickbait. (laughs) If I told you you could buy a house, no money down using OPM, you're probably going to go and explore that. So this is OPM fits into the VTB strategy, and we're going to go through all of that in this episode. Yeah.
0: Other People's Money is actually also an excellent book about one of the most fantastic real estate deals in New York, although relatively sketchy as well. So I'd highly (laughs) recommend that people check that book out. Anyway, listen closely, folks, because you may be taken aback. By this informative episode. You're not even going to honor me with a laugh on that pun? You can see me
1: shaking my head right now. <laughs> okay, let's get into it here. What is a vendor take back mortgage, Dan? Yeah, from Remax Canada,
0: big shout out to Chris Alexander, who's a, I think, president there. We had him on our original podcast, actually, on Brick and Mortar before we we signed on with the Canadian Investor Network. Awesome guys. Shout out to the original podcast. <laughs> awesome, awesome guy and really active on social media as well. Always has some great insight. Anyway, I looked around for better explanations, but honestly, these guys knocked it out of the park. If you just Google vendor take back mortgage, blog.remax.ca will come up. They So a lot of this is going to be read right from their site because it's exceptional. So I'd highly recommend you check it out if you need written or if you're a... What do they call that? A, a visual digester there you go. of information. The vendor take back mortgage enables the seller of the property to become the lender for the buyer. The vendor take back mortgage provides an option when traditional mortgage setups are not an option or when the seller wishes to offer an incentive to a buyer. That would happen in what? A... Buyer's market. Although this might not sound like an ideal solution, there are some circumstances where both buyers and sellers might consider taking advantage of the vendor take back mortgage. It can be mutually beneficial
1: for sure. And we're going to go through the pros and cons of of it and even how to pitch it. So in this case, the buyer is still required to make regular payments to the seller as they would with any other lender. The interest rate is set by the seller and agreed upon by the buyer and the seller. However, it's generally at a higher interest rate than one would receive with a more traditional mortgage through a more traditional lender.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really is probably most easily compared to a private mortgage and functionally very much becomes a private mortgage, right? The seller is rather than cashing out of the property and then lending you that money as a private mortgage, they're just like leaving their equity in the property and lending you that equity almost as a private lender the amount of money provided to the buyer varies from enough to cover closing costs or land transfer tax to more substantial amounts to cover the down payment or even a portion of the entire mortgage
1: totally before we go on i when i early on in my career and i was one of the easiest and best ways that this was explained to me is first you become the landlord which is you know if you look at institutional landlords throughout the world obviously very lucrative thing to be in But once you become the landlord, then you become the bank. And that's kind of where, you know, quote unquote, the buck stops. So that's just an interesting way to look at it. Okay. So now that we know this, how does it benefit the buyer
0: and the seller? Yeah, I mean I I really like this as a negotiating strategy to be honest. Like I remember there was times when before the market was exceptionally hot and I would just go and offer on I didn't have money and I couldn't really get credit, right? Or I had, I had some money but but not a ton and I couldn't really get access to you know good mortgages. And so I would literally just go offer on fringe properties like all over the country trying to find VTB's. And in the negotiating process, I found that it's a really easy way to call somebody's bluff as to whether or not they believe in the value of their property. If a seller believes their property is worth what they're selling it for, they should be willing to lend against it, right? Especially in this environment where you could be giving them an interest rate of 6 to 7%. It's even more than they'd likely make putting that money back into owning real estate. And on that note, remember when we talked about the Bank of Canada being sort of a lender of last resort? I feel like, and you saw this in the 90s a lot, owners are actually going to have to start becoming the lenders of last resort on their own product because we're seeing credit contraction and illiquidity being the main cause of slowing in the market right now. And what happened in the 90s was banks didn't want to touch anything because it was a risk-on lending environment. And when they, they walked away from the risk, then sellers, if they needed to get out of their product, liquidate to avoid financial stress on their own or whatever it was, then they would have to say, look, I'll lend you the difference or I'll lend you the whole thing because I don't want to own this asset anymore. I want to be a bank, right?
1: Yeah, I love that. And it's just those those times back then and and these times that we find ourselves in now that that can lead to change like this, right? Because vendor take back mortgages have now kind of made their way into the residential lending scene due to the changes in the market and the increased stress that we've that's put on these buyers, right? So it's harder to acquire a mortgage because it's harder to save for a down payment. Yeah, and it's also harder to to qualify now because
0: interest rates are becoming so high. And we'll talk about it a little bit further in the show, but in a lot of cases the vendor take back It becomes an interest only piece. So it does help with cash flow a little bit for people in the investing space. And that's one of the big reasons why it's exceptionally common in commercial mortgages. Like we see it a lot in the development space. In order to get access to mortgages, buyers are looking for different ways to get their down payments. Both sellers and real estate agents have learned more about vendor take back mortgages and are able to present them to buyers as a viable option to help them buy their dream homes. In turn, it also helps sellers get their houses off the market. And there is another important piece that's from a tax planning perspective where it's great for
1: sellers. We can talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, for sure. And just on that note, you know, I mean, this is this is something that most people I'd like to think weren't really aware of, you know, maybe a decade ago. It was it was big in the States and we've seen, you know, a lot of trends from, from there work their way up here. But you're right, this is becoming a lot more of a popular thing, especially in the investing community, which is great to see because the vendor take back mortgage is sometimes not the ideal lending situation for the average transaction. Instead, it's used in specific situations where there are either market challenges for the seller or credit challenges for the buyer. Again, this is why we're starting to see these things pop up more often than not, because in a market's red hot, you don't need products like this. But when we go into territory that we find ourselves in, we start to see a lot more. Now, Dan, walk us through um, – The buyer's market piece. Yeah. So
0: you will start to see things like this happen in a buyer's market where buyers are dictating price but also terms on deals and sellers have to be the ones creating the incentive. And we're moving away from a seller's market. We've been in a seller's market for a long period of time where basically sellers are price setters, buyers are not price setters and these can be measured by a market temperature let's call it can be measured by a couple of different things sales to new listings ratio would be one of them so below if below 40% sales to new listings ratio you're sort of in a buyers market if it's between 40 and 60 you'd be in a in a balance market and then if it's 60 plus percent so it's greater than 60% of the new listings coming online or selling then you'd be in a sellers market where sellers are sort of setting prices so we're moving into a market, even though we're seeing very low inventory. So that's keeping the market in balance. We're seeing exceptionally low sales, like almost record low sales. And if inventory starts piling up or climbing, we'll see a lot of competition. So high inventory means competition. This means that the seller's at a disadvantage. So sellers will come up with, especially if they need to liquidate, because you start, real estate can, is an illiquid product. And if we get into a bit of a liquidity crisis in the Canadian economy, sellers will start using this as a way to entice. Buyers to go to their property rather than all of the other options in the market. It's just like marketing really, right? It's trying to create a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. And so the seller can offer funding to a buyer who might not otherwise have access to the funds required to make an offer because again, lending is one of the hardest way hardest. Or one of the biggest, let's say, call it barriers to entry to getting into a house right now or getting into an investment right now.
1: Yeah, totally. And and to your point, if it can get the seller's home off the market using that marketing while helping the buyer to make that purchase that their finances would not have allowed them to in you know their more traditional route, then I mean, I'm looking at that as a potential win-win. For sure. This is where you're hearing a lot basically like, structured deals if you're
0: in the development space and you're hearing having conversations with developers a lot of them are talking about you know people are transacting right now but they're only buying on structured deals and when they talk when they use that that terminology they mean vendor takebacks it means where they're really only getting deals where the seller has agreed to some sort of structure that will create the deal make the deal cuz cuz they're existing either capital cash that they have or they're lending isn't able to make the deal happen, so and, and in smaller cap deals, in the case of like poor credit, as an example, or a buyer who is interested in the home could benefit if the seller is willing to assist them financially by over overlooking that, as an example. So it's really trying to create a win win deal, and it's more lenient underwriting. Obviously, for the seller, it isn't only about the interest; they also get the house off their hands, so they get out of that that you know they get to liquidate, and usually they're getting a down payment or again they're getting some money out of the deal. That is a transaction that otherwise wouldn't have existed. So in both scenarios, the seller can also get the benefit of increased cash flow from the principal and interest that they'd be getting in monthly mortgage payments from the buyer.
1: Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's just look at some of the the main benefits of a vendor take-back mortgage then because really it offers three main benefits to the seller. The first being you can sell your home faster, which usually In the last couple years hasn't been an issue right stuff was selling within hours but now we're back to a more balanced market where stuff can sit for days weeks or months and it might not seem normal to us but that is normal but there's going to be a lot of people that may need to liquidate things faster so this is a great way of selling your home faster the second is you can generate extra income from the interest now we'll elaborate on that a bit more because I've got a cool little anecdote that we we just did on, on a deal. And the third is you can reduce the amount of taxes on capital gains. For the buyer, the vendor to take back mortgage provides an additional type of financing option where you're facing down payment or credit challenges. So those are the three main options. Speed, you actually make more money and you shelter yourself against increased capital gains costs. Now interesting little thing here we we just pitched this on one of our deals it was a great fit for this gentleman actually you don't usually go into a portfolio and have the owner of the portfolio tour it with you but i did and he was a great guy and he was retiring moving away and he wanted to just essentially take this chunk of money he's getting from the portfolio and put it into dividend stocks well as soon as i heard that i went back to the team and said look this guy's strategy is to take this lump sum of money and put it into dividend stocks so we pitched him a vendor tape back unfortunately he didn't go for it this time around but that would have been a great little hedge against the capital gains he would have paid etc and we actually did some quick napkin math and he actually would have made more money over the course of the vtb if he had taken it than if he had just walked away with the lump sum so interesting little piece there
0: yeah, it is interesting. I just copy and pasted the VTB capital gains piece in here. So worth maybe mentioning that because it is a huge advantage to the sellers and I really only brushed on it in the later part of the notes. So for commercial and investment properties, offering a vendor take back mortgage to the buyer will allow you to defer capital gains tax on any capital gains from the property. So you're basically cutting up the sale value and spreading it out over up to five years, which is a mortgage term. So it would kind of work out nicely anyway. Do you want to give us
1: an example here, Nick? Yeah. So let's say that you purchased a commercial property for $500,000. A private real estate investor wants to purchase your property for $700,000. So you offer them a VTB mortgage of $700,000. This will result in $200,000 of capital gains.
0: So you can defer the capital gains tax as a seller on the $200,000 since you're you're selling a capital property but not receiving the proceeds of the sale immediately. You'd be receiving those proceeds later, maybe next year or at the end of the mortgage term. So this $200,000 capital gain can be
1: deferred over five years for $40,000 a year. So instead of having to go and report a $200,000 capital gain in a single tax year, You will now only have to report a $40,000 capital gain per the next five years. So by spreading out your capital gains, you will be able to decrease your taxable income, which will help bring you into a lower tax bracket, which is strangely what we all want, even though we're all trying to make a bunch of money. It is interesting because in the example
0: you gave, that was a portfolio that was owned in an individual's name. Yeah, for that individual, liquidating is going to trigger a huge capital gains event. For a corporation, it wouldn't really matter. Your tax rate in most provinces would stay the same. And these are probably Patrick questions, so we'll have Patrick do. I was just going to say leave it for Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a you know we'll have Patrick do a whole thing on this. But but for individuals, if you're paying capital gains tax, that you're going to be taxed at the you know the full amount based on like the income, because you know it's a huge amount of money, so it's gonna push you into that top income bracket. If you can spread it out, then you would be getting into a lower income bracket, and ideally getting a better, a better tax rate. So spending, again, and for, for sellers, this is less, less money out, so it's, it's increasing your profit. Let's go a little bit more into seller consideration. So as good as it sounds, it does come with some warnings to sellers. So first, it is basically like a second mortgage in a lot of cases. I mean, unless you have 100% equity in the property, and you're lending the buyer a hundred percent or not a hundred percent, but if you're lending them, let's say an 80% VTB and they're giving you 20% down, then you know, in most cases, VTB will end up subordinating, being pushed into second position. And we're gonna get into a little bit of a description of what that is. You could be faced with a buyer who is not willing or able to make their mortgage payments. When this happens, the payments can fall back on you, especially if there's a mortgage ahead of you or you have to take back the property. Usually if somebody's in arrears on one mortgage, they're heading into arrears on on mortgage number two, so you might end up having to deal with some BS of power of sale, getting your own property back, et cetera. It costs money from a lawyer perspective. You're probably going to pay a mortgage broker to do some term sheet, and again, we'll we'll define this stuff too. I know Nick's got some some eager definitions <laughs> heading in here. You know, you need good paperwork to protect you against loan defaults. This is a much must since if the buyer defaults, the loan is at risk, and so are your finances. And so, it's a costly process on the way in, but also on the way out if you have to foreclose or do a power of sale.
1: Yeah, great points, Dan. So just to recap, those were the seller considerations. Now let's look at some of the buyer considerations. So depending on the vendor takeback mortgage setup, you're going to have two loans to pay back, right? So you'll have your initial mortgage and the vendor take back. Now, often buyers are tempted to by the buy- vendor take back to help provide the down payment to secure a mortgage from the bank. In this case of a conventional mortgage, you pay the down payment and the bank pays the balance. You then make the mortgage payments for that balance.
0: Yeah, so I mean a lot in a lot of cases you are hearing about people trying to get the VTB behind the first mortgage to almost use it as like in quotation marks their down payment. And that would be a, a PTB in second position behind a first mortgage. And we'll talk about – I mean, it's, it's not easy to find a lender to agree to that. It is becoming more common. Like I actually have seen it more – in the past two to three months, first position lenders agreeing to VTB's in second that I have in the past six years of trading prior, yeah, wow. To the past several months, and and I think a lot of it is lenders getting creative, seeing that sellers are trying and they're not trying to be vindictive and sue the people for or cancel the transaction, cause a default. They're seeing the sellers try to collaborate and keep that equity in the deal and lend it back to the person, and so they're being forgiving just to get the deal funded so the buyers'
1: finances don't implode. In that case. Would that OPM, other people's money, be the actual lender's money?
0: I guess if the if the vendor is in in second, the OP like I guess they would be, yeah, they would be the OPM. They would be the other person, but they're not really another person. They're the person yeah. who's already involved <laughs> in the transaction. But you know what? Like, I mean, it is an easy way to kinda and, and we recently just did a deal of our own on a on a large multi, actually the biggest multiplex we've we've purchased. Can't talk too much about it, obviously, but was able to get the lender and first to agree to to VTB to get to a much higher leverage point. So yeah, it's it's happening out there. Yeah, that was a really cool deal, and we'll talk about that more in time. Yeah, if we can get some permission from, from everybody involved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look, this is where you hear about first mortgages or second mortgages, which will probably be a whole separate episode when we get into private lending and positioning and lien holding and stuff like that. But maybe worth creating a little bit of context here just for the subsequent pieces on what a first versus a second mortgage is here, Nick.
1: Totally. So let's look at the difference between the two, right? A first mortgage is the primary loan that you take out on the purchase of your home. So that's the one that Anyone and everybody has if you own a property. A second mortgage is a loan that you take out in addition to your first mortgage. That's again, the first is the quote unquote normal mortgage, the traditional one. It is usually used to finance home improvements or to cover other costs associated with buying a home. For instance, Dan, I know you took out a second mortgage and bought a Hummer and put a hot tub in and stuff, right? Yeah, the hot tub is actually in the Hummer. In the Hummer, right?
0: (laughs) Don't do that. Not financial advice. Yeah. And I just do laps around Florida. Yeah. You have heard of some – I mean, this is like – this was what was happening in the US in 07 and a lot of people just using their home as an ATM. You hear a lot about it and like it's easy to continue borrowing against your home when the bank, every time you come back on renewal, they offer to top you up or they're sending you offers for HELOCs or whatever. Look, a second mortgage is a type of subordinate mortgage made while an original mortgage is still in effect. So, I've actually had seconds from the same lender before. So, I've had like National go behind their own other facility rather than writing me a whole new mortgage. And in the event of a default, so the the first and second comes into who's registered the liens first, right? So the first lien on a property is the person who's first to get paid. And actually, I think the only person who can get ahead of a – a first position is the CRA. I believe they're the only ones who can get- Sounds about right. Yeah. If they lien your house and then you like liquidate the asset or whatever, or you have to go bankrupt, whatever profits would go to the CRA, then it would go to the A lender. So, Or sorry, the first position lender. So your lenders actually want to see you pay your taxes too. Anyway, since the second mortgage would receive repayments only when the first mortgage has been paid off, the interest rate charge for the second mortgage is typically higher because they're in a higher risk position, right? So higher risk, higher. they expect a higher reward for taking that risk. And the amount borrowed is usually lower than the first mortgage. So you'll often see a first mortgage up to, I'm going to try and be responsible with the leverage points here. First mortgage up to 60% maybe. And then you'll see a HELOC up to just 65% because this is Mr. Responsible Borrower. But <laughs> It's not uncommon to see that kind of stacking. You hear about a capital stack in you know, more corporate or development finance and real estate. That's That's stacking of capital. So you got equity on top and then your second and then your first mortgage. Anyway, second lender typically assumes more default risk and equity risk as a result of that. According to
1: Investopedia, Nick? A second mortgage is a loan in addition to the homeowner's primary mortgage. HELOCs are a great example of a second mortgage.
0: Yeah. So homeowners use them to finance large
1: purchases like sending their kids to
0: school a new vehicle levering up to buy cryptocurrencies or <laughs> nfts going on vacation but you know and the, the final example they use here is actually funny because this is actually probably the most common iteration and and now it's starting to be cracked down on i think osfi or some of the new lending policy has been talking about trying to eliminate this but using a down payment on a second home so basically pulling leverage to buy the next property. And I mean, this is what everybody in the investment space talks about. This is creating that chain of leverage, but it also creates a risk position because you're like fully levered into, into real estate, right?
1: Yeah, you've got to stop the leverage somewhere or or it just, you know, the scales tip or the market stops it for you, like what's happening today. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we experience exactly what we're happening right now. And, and everyone learns the hard way. Second mortgages often have a slightly higher interest rate than first mortgages, which should not come to a surprise. For anyone, but they also have lower interest rates than a personal bank loan or a credit card. Yeah, so you'll often see people using
0: seconds to pay off those things. If you're talking about debt consolidation or trying to, you know, get to a lower rate, a lot of people are using seconds for stuff like that. It can be expensive to take out a second mortgage, especially if it's a private loan, because you often have to pay a closing cost similar to a first mortgage. But you know, with the first, it's often built into the closing of the home.
1: Yeah, so you. Definitely need a decent amount of equity in your home to take out a significant second mortgage.
0: Yeah, and it, it is hard to get to a high leverage point unless you're getting into like those really expensive interest rates. Like, for example, and I used this example before, a lot of HELOC's
1: home equity line of credits will only go up to 65%. So, in the case of a VTB, a vendor take back mortgage, you might be given a portion or all of your down payment by the seller then you pay the bank and they transfer the funds to pay the balance of the purchase. So you now have to begin to pay back the seller for the down payment and the bank their mortgage payments. You have to calculate these monthly payments based on the agreed upon payment schedule and interest rate to make sure when combined, you can afford that required payment and to make sure the deal still cash flows and the vendor take back is actually doing what it should, which is Increase the cash flow and make it a better deal overall.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we can talk a little bit here about just risk scenarios associated with that. So, like you'll see, I guess, like if you're in a high loan-to-value position, as an example, if you're borrowing up to eighty percent and you see prices come down, that's where you can see what's called the LTV or loan-to-value compression. So, what would happen is eighty—you were at eighty percent—and now the property drops twenty percent. Now you're borrowing at a hundred percent, right? Hypothetically
1: quick maths but yeah so let's say let's say you've got a million dollar property and you 8020 valuation that's 800,000 but that but that property that's not worth a million dollars anymore after you know a bear run that property drops 20% now where are you right you've you've lost that loan to value you've lost that value in the loan to value piece for sure and then as a borrower you have two lenders
0: so they if you get into a non payment position you have two people chasing you down for money two people with lawyers who are trying to shake you <laughs> for all yeah. that dough i mean you should pay your mortgage obviously but but then also as a as a lender on the deal you now are competing with another person who's trying to scrape money out of this deal if the borrower defaults
1: and so yeah yeah, totally. It, it just it just cuts it up a little more. And, and to be honest, if you're not experienced and it's a complicated deal, it just adds another layer to it. So it can be a major advantage, but it can also get some people in trouble if not executed correctly. For sure. That being said, let's move on to what I'm most excited to talk about here, which is vendor take back advantages for property investors. And this one's for everyone listening because we know this is what you want to hear. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean,
0: look, the VTB is really used primarily as an investment tool for investors and commercial properties. Like, I would say 80% of the deals that we're seeing in the development space. Have had some sort of VTB element. It's very rare that they're funded entirely by a bank. Sellers who own properties outright can face some hefty capital gains when they sell. And so, you know, we mentioned it before a vendor take back can help them defer the capital gains from the purchase price, resulting in great tax benefits, giving them a better net sale value. So it is advantageous for the seller. Sellers also benefit by generating monthly income for the mortgage payment. So, as an example, I have this listing for sale on Coxwell right now. In Toronto, seller, he's realized that he can probably discount the price a little bit if he's going to be making a 5% interest rate over the next five years on a mortgage term. And he's willing to vendor take back this thing up to 80% wow. as an example. So he's literally willing to, to lend up. To, yeah, because they they have full equity in the property. And he's actually willing to do it below probably what a bank would lend it at. So bank's going to lend at 6%. He can afford to do it at 5%. The ca- it'll The cash flow better than... What it does right now, it's basically his his family's retirement plan, and so you know it's either hold the asset or liquidate the asset. And the managing a rental property is an expert operating business. That's what we talk about a lot here. So becoming a mortgage lender is a lot more passive in the real estate space. He doesn't want to be the one repositioning, trying to increase rents, etc. And so for him as a seller, it's a lot more hands off. And I might just plug here if you're interested in that deal, give me a shout because it's a good one. It's in Toronto, probably a three and a half cap, but. Good structure per se.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's get this thing sold on the show. That'd be great. Even with that example, and you know, even the the house purchase example for let's say an investor with poor credit, which hey, I've had before as an investor, the vendor take back mortgage can provide a few things, which is short term financing solutions until something better comes along from a mortgage lender, whether an A B or possibly even a private. The buyer can also work on building their credit by paying back the vendor, and the buyer can also build up equity in the property and use that to obtain a better setup with a more appealing mortgage rate eventually. Yeah, for the most part, a vendor take back is not traditionally
0: used by you know your average mom and pop home buyer many sellers or buyers have probably not even heard about it and so it's one of those difficult things to approach with a seller but you know for the right circumstances and and very commonly in the investment world where you're getting more sophisticated buyers and sellers it's common and and can prove
1: beneficial to both buyers and sellers exactly now let's ask the question how does one go about getting a vtb now, Dan, I feel like this is something that has been happening more and more on the transaction side of things. We've talked about it several times in this episode, but what has also been coming up in, in certain circles is how do I get a VTB? You know, everyone's now heard about it, but it's one of those, you know, it's like a unicorn. You, you hear about it. It's this beautiful thing that can make your dreams come true. But how do I actually go about getting it? Yeah, I guess
0: there's a couple of different considerations here. So number one is like finding it. And in a lot of cases, like I've always said this, right? Good deals are are made. They're not found. You don't just like find a good deal. If it, if it was a good deal that to be found, somebody probably would have already found it. We're in an excess demand situation for the most part in Canadian real estate. So how do you put that together? And, and I think that, you know, the big thing is you just got to ask. And the question is, you know, like this is one of the fundamentals in sales. It's you don't get for things that you don't ask for, right? And you ask politely sometimes. But I would say it's, it's most commonly written in the APS, the agreement of purchase and sale as a clause or in some cases a term
1: or condition. Okay, cool. And for clarification, a clause and a condition are different. It may be easier to just think about it as a provision of the contract. So let's quickly just define all three. Provision can be a legal clause or condition which is contained within a contract that requires one or both parties to perform a particular requirement or prevents from performing a particular requirement in definite time. A provision is any condition or requirement in a legal document. A clause or term can be defined as an independent concept within the written contract. Usual contracts contain clauses on payment, time, and termination, scope, etc. And a condition in a clause in a contract or agreement which which has for an object to suspend or to alter the obligation principles. This would all include things like things that need to be completed to make the deal continue to become firm or successful such as mortgage financing, inspection or insurance. Exactly. Everyone get all that? You got all
0: that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like it when you interject with these definitions here. So A condition is a clause that a buyer needs to waive or fulfill by an agreed upon time in order for the sale to be finalized, while a clause is used to just clarify what the buyer expects to be done or included in the property. So when we're doing VTBs, we actually tend to use clauses more than conditions unless it's conditional on something like, for example, the approval of a lender in another position, first or second, as an example, to be satisfied with the VTB, the terms of the VTB. So here's an example of a pre-printed clause that we actually use in the Canadian or Ontario Real Estate Association's pre-printed clauses. Pretty standard across the board stuff here. You might see some slight changes in terminology. So this it goes as follows. The seller agrees to take back a first or second charge or mortgage for the balance of the purchase price bearing an interest at the rate of interest rate, percentage per annum, repayable interest only on the first day of any every month, that could be any day, then you state the payment interval, monthly, quarterly, et cetera, and maturing on the whatever date, and that's your maturity date or the end of the term. That's an interest only iteration. Then we'll do like a blended payment iteration, which I use less commonly in VTBs. We usually do interest only, and then you try and take out the VTB as soon as possible the seller agrees to take back a first or second charge slash mortgage or charge or mortgage. You can use whichever one you want in the amount of whatever the loan amount will be, (laughs) bearing an interest rate of whatever the interest rate will be per annum, calculated semi-annually, not advanced, repayable and blended monthly payments of whatever your monthly payment is. and You got to calculate that based on the amortization. Then it says, including Both principal and interest, and to run for a term of X years from the date of completion of this transaction. This, by the way, all of this stuff we're going to have in a library for you guys, a clause library. We're going to have like a little bit of a VTB cheat sheet available. So just send us an email to the show, and we will have a registration link as well for the forum that we're working on that we'll be announcing for beta testing very shortly, but hopefully having like kind of some resources for you to copy and paste that and toss it into an agreement of purchase and sale.
1: Yeah. And, and even above and beyond that, I think we'd like to eventually be able to, you know, help train and coach people on, on how to ask for these, how to negotiate when, when is the right time to ask for them, et cetera. Anyways, all in good time, reach out to the show, get, let's get back on track. So the clause basically loosely contains All of the components of a mortgage commitment that you'd get from a bank, right? You'd have your position, which is either your first or second. So that's a first mortgage is the primary lien against your real estate, taking precedence of all other mortgage. Again, this is the traditional mortgage that we all know very well. If the property is sold or if the borrower defaults, the first mortgage is paid before any other mortgage lien on the property we then move on to the interest rate the proportion of the loan that is charged as an interest to the borrower typically expressed as an annual percent of the loan outstanding we've been over this numerous times same with the term the term is that length of time that the mortgage agreement that you agree to pay for that that interest rate is and that's that that interest rate is in effect the amortization is the length of time it will take you to pay that full amount of the mortgage loan Yeah. So eventually all these components would
0: become part of a term sheet or mortgage commitment. You're probably familiar with a mortgage commitment letter from borrowing
1: from other lenders. Yeah. And a mortgage commitment letter is a very formal document from your lender stating that you're approved for the loan. Lenders issue a mortgage commitment letter after an applicant has successfully completed the pre-approval process. Yeah. So the seller might become or is going to become one of those
0: lenders if you're using a VTB mortgage. So they'll want to to have a term sheet. This usually happens at the lawyer phase, like the lawyer ends up doing most of this. So you probably won't see it if you just include that clause that we mentioned before. But worth noting, because we have done lots of deals where we have to negotiate the nitty gritty of the term sheet. Anyway, on the topic of the nitty gritty of of negotiating terms, let's consider some of the challenges that you're going to run into trying to get a VTB, Nick.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the first one would be finding sellers willing to do this, right? This is, as we said, not a common practice. I mean, it is for for Dan and I and everyone listening, you're probably more familiar, but go ask a friend or family member if they're familiar with what a VTB is or even try to explain it to them and I guarantee you will have some issues. Now, the other issue is that in the US, you can actually search by VTB lists or more commonly known as owner financing. And that's in the States, they've really figured certain things out I mean they also have the you know the 1031 exchange that that's great for this kind of stuff. There's no central places to find VTB's or people willing to offer VTB's in Canada right now. Yeah, so it's funny
0: cuz like before this episode I just like search Kijiji because in the US they have centralized lists like owner financing lists but I so I search Kijiji like for seller financing and vendor take back and owner financing and it's definitely becoming more popular like I'm seeing a lot more of it now and so if you go, if that, that might be the first place to look if you're just looking for the low hanging fruit but it was, I noticed like a lot of properties that were either overpriced or hard to sell or whatever so they're using the VTB kind of to entice people to, to take a bad deal, right? Anyway one of the, the biggest problem you're going to run into is the seller wants all their money right away, they want to be liquid and they, if they need all the money right away, it's basically impossible. So the seller either doesn't have enough equity to share to leave a share of the transaction in, or their equity is insufficient or or, or sorry, is sufficient, but they want the money for other stuff. So, you know, they need all the liquidity to go and invest in dividend stocks, as you, you use an example, Nick.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we it's really got to be incentive for the seller to, to do it, right? And in a market like the Canadian real estate market for the past few years, it's all a matter of supply and demand, which we spoke about earlier. So if the market is in a seller's market, again, Dan, going back to your definitions, meaning the demand is high, which has a lot of active buyers, but the supply is low, so not as many buildings are on sale, it'll be difficult for a buyer to conclude a vendor take back option. But the price offered for the building based on the market value will have a major impact too. For instance, if you have something offered 10% below market value, and you're not the only one interested in in buying the building, your chances to see a vendor take back are probably pretty bad. So another another thing that can kind of just kill the deal is
0: the lender in first position isn't agreeable to a VTB behind it. This is where you have a first position lender,
1: like could be an A lender or a B lender. Yeah, and again, let's just stop there for a second. A lenders, typically more regulated, big six charter banks specialize in mortgage product. B lenders are kind of quasi-regulated lenders such as the MBFIs or non-bank financial institutions where they are not directly regulated but federally regulated. And indirectly follow regulations due to the nature of their business. So both great options, but bit of a difference there. Captain Nick just coming in hot with the definitions today. O- okay, so
0: so this is important because where you avoid – this is where you avoid accidentally doing mortgage fraud, which is sort of what's called uh, – or by the way, of what's called a silent second
1: mortgage. Stop right there. A silent second mortgage is when you borrow a second mortgage, but you hide it from your primary mortgage lender. So we don't like that. For example, a home buyer might get a silent second mortgage to borrow money for the home's down payment without your primary mortgage lender knowing. This is illegal. Do not do that. Yeah. (laughs) I think we're going to have to do soft versus hard mortgage fraud and and fraud for shelter. Yeah. I can chat a little bit about that one because
0: it is funny. Like A lot of people are saying, oh, these people who have committed fraud for shelter are the most likely in the market to pay their mortgages because when you – just commit mortgage fraud it's like soft fraud and this is like real and but it because it, it doesn't re- result in a financial loss as soon as it re- results in a financial loss for the bank then it becomes hard fraud and you can go to jail for it to be criminally convicted so they want to pay their mortgages because literally if they don't rather than losing the house or getting in trouble or having a bad credit score they go to jail so <laughs> it is it is pretty crazy right the difference yeah. just the, the one of these little nuances in the canadian market but anyway don't do mortgage fraud guys stupid stuff
1: yeah, not, not cool. Let's just go through a few. I got a few quick takeaways from, from this episode, Dan, because I think this was a really good one and we'll do more unpacking VTBs. And then we said, reach out if you want to try to explore how to do one of these yourself. But for me, a VTB is a great way to get deals done in a buyer's market, which we are in. So I think there is going to be more opportunity to find good VTBs than there has been in years. The only problem is they are usually fairly hard to find because most people don't know what they are. And you've got to be good at pitching as to why they are a win-win. Because if they're not, people won't go for it. And usually they are proposed to the sellers and written into the APS, which is the agreement of purchase and sale. Yeah. And if you want, like this comes down to us, our strategy of you gotta
0: offer on a bunch of properties before you find you gotta make good deals. You don't just find them. They don't just come across your desk. So you gotta go offer on a bunch of properties and just Offer on everything with a VTB. Make some sellers angry. Yeah. (laughs) No, but seriously, like, you know, you're not going to, if you don't ask, you're not going to get one, right? So let's quickly go through the advantages. Easy to determine if the seller is confident in the true value of the property is if they're willing to lend on it. It's less likely to be registered on your credit bureau. So it's a little bit softer on credit and also on the leverage point in that existing property and typically more lenient in terms of underwriting than A-lenders. Wait a second, wait a second.
1: Did we ever define underwriting? (laughs) I don't know, but you're coming in hot with the definitions today. A lot to take in in this episode. Underwriting simply means that your lender verifies your income, assets, debt, and property details in order to issue the final approval for your loan. An underwriter is a financial expert who will look at your finances and assess How much risk a lender will take or will will give to you if they decide to give you a loan? The dictionary strikes again. Ooh, it's a good one. Is that my name, but with dictionary? (laughs) Yeah, it is. Good. We've got a Latin professor in in a walking dictionary here. I love it. That's everything for today, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Reach out to us about this one. We know this was a lot of information. So reach out if you want to uh, chat about how to execute your first VTB. Yeah. And I think we got a wait list up now
0: for the forum. So if you want to get let into the forum during beta, we'll put a link in the show notes, click that, sign up. We're going to be like having online discussions about things like this, where you can ask questions, interact with us, interact with other members from the community. So we want to be kind of like just growing this big indexed, searchable book of knowledge that Our entire community contributes to. And a lot of people have said, you know, that's where bigger pockets is with, you know, I think they started with a forum. People want to see that for us, really Canadian specific. And so you ask and we do the best that we can to deliver. Actually, one last thing before we wrap up. I just wanted to do a quick deal analyzer, plug this into landlord.io. This is the deal we just bought at an 8.68% cap rate, but due to structure, using a vendor take back. With the permission of the lender in first position to get up to a very high leverage point, this deal penciled out at a 50% cash on cash return. It's one of those kind of too good to be true once in a lifetime deals, but hopefully now with the tools that we just gave you in this vendor take back episode, maybe you can find one of those or create one of those for yourself in the future. Thanks a lot, everyone. The Canadian Real Estate Investor is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Centre, license number 10317 and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037.
1: Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.